0: amen and um, i want to just uh, kind of bring a couple of announcement items up first we'll give all the announcements at the end of the service like we normally do but i want to take a minute and just encourage you ladies in particular on uh on this friday night at 6:30 or is it six six o'clock i better make sure i get the time right i'll be in the doghouse and so my wife's in the nursery this morning so she's not here to give me the look to let me know Uh, that I messed up and so uh, six o'clock on Friday they're having a ladies fellowship and so you're all invited to come uh, and so if you are a lady not if you identify as a lady but if you actually are a lady then you may come uh, to the ladies fellowship on uh, this Friday night and so and you'll have a great time there there's you don't have to be uh, a member you don't even really if you've got a friend that you would say they might like our church or the ladies in our church if they would just come but they're intimidated to come to a service this is a great event to bring them to it's just an opportunity for them to come uh and um in a less formal setting uh and and to have a great time together and so you need to bring finger foods with you you're going to come and you're going to celebrate it's just going to be i i think kind of our idea without me saying too much and get myself really in trouble is that it's we're celebrating everybody's birthdays for the whole year all in one party. And so it's kind of the mindset behind it. Uh, and so you'll have a good time there and I hope that you'll take the time uh, to come. And, uh, and, and you're probably, some of you might see a different side of my wife than you normally see. And that, that might be good for you. I'm I, I am a very calm, mellow being. And so my wife, when we first met, was the pol- we were polar opposites. And so uh, we, we balance each other. And so, and, and then you put on her um, the, the yoke of, uh, she doesn't view it this way, and I just don't know how to explain it better, of being a pastor's wife. And by that, I mean, she feels like she has to be all prim and proper all the time. Uh, in this environment, she can kind of let her hair down a little bit and have a little bit more fun. And, uh, and she really is crazy. Uh, and so uh, you know it's just if you when I met her she had this this photo album and on it she she had on there uh, me vida loca that was the title of her photo album was my crazy life and so and she is uh, she she can she is the life of the party when she lets herself be and I hope that you'll come and have a great time uh, and if you tell her that I said that I'll deny it uh, unless unless she's listening and then I can't lie uh, and so, uh, but you'll, no, all kidding aside, you'll have a great time. and I hope that you'll come, especially if you're newer to our church. It's just a wonderful environment to get to know uh, one another. And we encourage you to do that. The other thing that I want to kind of prime us for, and, and, and by introduction to the message this morning evening, the next three Sundays, we haven't had a revival, a legitimate revival service in, since pre-COVID. Uh, and it's, it's been difficult to get scheduling rhythms and uh, speakers that I'm comfortable bringing in or that I'm excited to bring in. Uh, if I'm not excited to hear them, I'm not going to persecute you with them. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going uh, to not we're, not, we're not having a meeting just for the sake of having a meeting. Uh, but we are going to, on September the 11th, celebrate the 50th anniversary of our church. Uh, and so, and and we are uh, going to have uh, the beginnings of a revival meeting on that Sunday. Our speaker for uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday will not arrive until Monday morning. He is a he is a pastor uh, in Rhode Island. He pastored a uh, a church in a Spanish ministry in California for over 20 years, and under his leadership, it went from uh, virtually being established to well over a thousand. And a few years ago, the Lord moved him uh, to take a church in, in Rhode Island. And so his name is Carlos Navarrete. He will be, uh, and we've met a few times over the years. We met a couple of years ago at a conference that I really didn't expect to see him at. Uh, it, it just was not normal, our, either one of our normal circles that we would travel in. And we had some, spent some time together in and just had a, had a good time of fellowship and getting acquainted and uh, maintain that relationship. And so I'm excited to spend some time with a friend, and, I'm, and, and of which I don't have really a lot of men that I say that about. Uh, but I'm excited for our church to get acquainted with him and to meet him. And I believe that if you'll set aside uh, September the 12th, 13th, and 14th on those Monday to, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, we'll start right at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll sing two or three songs, maybe have a special if we, if we we're able, and then he'll get right to the preaching. Uh, so it's, we're not going to come and be here from 7 until 10 or anything like crazy like that. Uh, but we need to be revived. Amen. My spirit needs to be revived. And so and if, if I'm, as a pastor, feeling that my spirit needs to be revived, I, I'm, I'm sensitive that the Lord is kind of impressing on me that as a church we just need that encouragement. We need the challenge of that. We need the the instruction that will come with that, and so be intentional. Don't miss September the 11th. Uh, the, it's, it, we're going to have our, our morning service. I would say regular morning service. It won't really be a normal service, but it'll our regular time uh and then after we're going to have we're going to have a meal together in the fellowship hall then we're going to have a brief service in the afternoon immediately after the meal in meal in the fellowship hall that will be in place of our six thirty service on monday, on sunday night so i want you to be rested uh and be able to come in on monday tuesday and wednesday and just have a good time for the lord to speak to us so september the 11th uh and of course we'll we'll uh uh, be appropriate to, to the, the day in the memory of, uh, of those that lost their lives on September the 11th as well. Uh, but we also want to celebrate uh, the, what the Lord has done here over the last 50 years and lives that have been touched and impacted and, uh, and look forward to a, a special time together. So mark that in your calendar. Now having said that, on the message today and the next couple of Sundays on Sunday morning are, are really going to be kind of preparatory to revival uh and so if if you're if you're coming if you're listening what is it that, that what's the idea that the pastor's really trying feels compelled to try to get across it is it is that i, I don't want to come on september the 11th through the 14th and say god revive me if you can i want to come Already having sought and been seeking the Lord and being preparing my heart so that God can do something that's over and above, that's special, that's significant, that's transformative and life-changing in my life. And I want to challenge you to do that as well. And so we're going to begin that this morning. So if you would take your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. First Samuel chapter 7, we're going to look at the first eight verses here, but we're really going to look at verse number 3. And the outline today is, is Unusual to my normal outline that I provide you, I haven't seen I haven't seen it in the printed form, so I don't know uh, if you've got your main four points there. Your four points there really are are four principles. There are three points in the verse, and I'm going to share with you. You may want to jot them down, even if it's in the introduction, and then four principles that are going to help us. And and really, if we embrace this, what I preach to you this morning, if we'll embrace this principle, these principles and concept every service, not just for a revival meeting, but every time we gather together, it will help God impact your life. Uh, And so I I believe that. I believe the principles are here in the Word, uh, and we're going to look at them this morning. But in 1 Samuel chapter 7, uh, and verses 1 through 8, Israel is in a unique time, uh, and uh, they are coming to the close of a long period of their history of about 400 or so years. Uh, And I'll get into that more in just a moment. But Uh, But they are here about to uh, uh, stand up and face uh, the Philistines in battle. Uh, And so, and this is before there is a king in Israel. Uh, And the men of Kyrgyath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it unto the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kyrgyath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, "Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord." And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, "We have sinned against the Lord." And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. I want to speak this morning on this thought, a heart prepared to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our opportunity to gather. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts to the word. I pray that you would work freely in our midst. I pray that you would bring conviction of our sin. I pray that you would encourage us to brace uh, a wholehearted surrender and service to our Savior. May you be honored and glorified, Lord Jesus, this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So as we look here, Israel uh, is at this time. Samuel is still really their ruler, and he is... The last of the judges. And so even though we're seven chapters into the book of 1 Samuel, we're really still in judges. And so the time of the judges lasted for a little over 400 years. And so uh, when you look at Israel's history, God came to Abraham and then, of course, they uh, all the way up through Joseph. And he told Abraham that your your descendants are going to be taken and held in in enslavement. Uh, in, a, in Egypt for 400 years uh, and so but when they come out they're going to come out with great wealth and great uh, with great might and so uh, God did that and so Israel went through that time of the patriarchs and then uh, Joseph was raised up to keep life, much people alive. And uh, even though his brothers worked against him, God worked in his life, meant it for good. And uh, and they all used that to bring Israel from the Canaan over to uh, to. Egypt. And so now they're there. And if we don't have time to go back in all of this step by step this morning. Uh, but as Exodus gets started, it tells us that there rose up a Pharaoh after that that didn't know Joseph. Uh, and because Joseph was held in high esteem, things were good for them there. Uh, they got comfortable there. Uh, they stayed there. Uh, And then a new Pharaoh came up that did not know Joseph and was afraid because they were multiplying. There were so many people that they would side with an enemy when attacked. And so they enslaved them. And they forced them to build essentially, historically, the pyramids and the treasure cities of Egypt. All of those things were really built by Hebrew slaves. Uh, And so on the backs of God's people. And so they're there and they're enslaved there for 430 years. Whenever they come out, we know that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness because they lacked the faith to go into the promised land. God did not desire for them to have to wander for 40 years. He desired for them to come out of Egypt with a, with a strong hand, with great wealth, to come to the promised land. It was about a two-week journey, uh, and to go in and to possess the land. But they lacked the faith to do what God said. They looked at what they could see rather than listening to what God said. And so they were so overwhelmed by what they saw, by life's experience, that they missed what God was telling them and they lacked the faith uh, to go in. That, that is somewhat astounding whenever you consider what they've just witnessed. They've wa- watched all ten of the plagues take place upon Egypt. They've, they've experienced the Passover. They've watched the Red Sea be separated and they've walked across it on dry land. They've experienced the drowning of the power and the might of Egypt in the Red Sea when God closed the water upon them and destroyed their army. And so God judged Egypt for holding his people in slavery for 400 years, uh, but he brought them out with wealth and power. Uh, and then he provided for them along the way. He gave them miraculously, met their needs. Sometimes it was purifying water that was bitter, poisoned, and other times (coughs) He gave them water from a rock and And they get across and instead of seeing uh, what God promised and God promising that he would also defeat this enemy, which after the defeat of Egypt was not really that much, that great of a task, all they could see were the giants. Oh yeah, they had the proof of the fruit of the land. They had the proof that it was all that God promised and more, but they couldn't get past The people of the land, the inhabitants of the land. And they feared that if they were to go in and to do what God said, that they would be killed in combat and that they would not be able to excel. And and so God told them, none of you that are of, of age will enter into the promised land only Joshua and Caleb the two that expressed faith are the only two that would cross the Jordan forty years later and, and possess what God had promised them uh, and so for forty years they wandered while all of those people died and the number of funerals that they had a day on average is astounding uh, if, if you, it's, it's an estimate because we don't know exactly how large the nation was but most estimates put it between two and four million people uh, and so Everyone that was 20 years years of age and older died and did not enter into the promised land, uh, save Joshua and Caleb. And so they wandered. Then they come into the promised land and they conquer it. And so you have a long period of time there uh, where they're conquering and where they they do not completely do what God told them. And so at one point, God says, okay, that's enough. Uh, The ones that you didn't have the faith to finish off, they're going to be a persecution to you and the Philistines are included amongst those people. Uh, Had they listened to God, the Philistines wouldn't have been there to be a problem for them. But because they did not fully obey the command of God and they did not fully trust the Lord, the Philistines are there and they are going to be Literally a thorn in Israel's sides all through the age of the kings. And so now you enter the period of the judges which lasts about 400 years and then you enter the period of the kings which lasts about 400 years uh, and brings us to uh, the time of Nebuchadnezzar coming in Babylon taking Israel out. And so you're here with Samuel. Samuel is a great prophet but he's also the final judge. And the people are, are complaining. They want a king. Now here's the problem. They already have a king. His name is Jesus. Amen. Uh, God is their king. But they want to be like everyone around them. And listen, I'm just, you know, just from a practical standpoint, wanting God's people, wanting in our hearts to be like everyone around us, ought to be a red flag warning to us. Amen. If, if the desire of our heart is to be like everyone and everything around us, that never ended well for God's people in the scriptures. We ought to want to be with him. Amen. We ought to want to embrace him. And so they're, they're longing to have a king so that they're like everyone else. They're longing to worship the gods of the land like everyone else. What they're saying essentially is, we don't want to be different, God. We want to be like everyone around us. And so they are. And they've embraced the culture. And they are worshiping other gods. It, it's interesting to me uh, that in First John, uh, and I realize that this is a big jump into the into the uh, latter part of the of the New Testament. But First John written to Christians, and he's going all through his writing, and he's making a wonderful uh, you know promises about forgiveness and our position in Christ and God's love for us and the victory that we can have. And nowhere in the entire five chapters does he say a word about idolatry but the very last word after he's told them uh for you know repent of your sin and if you if you confess your sin he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and jesus is the propitiation and uh jesus god is greater than uh that you know the devil is great but he that is that is uh, but god is greater Uh, and so greater is he than he that is in the world and so he goes through all of these wonderful promises but then he closes the book with little children keep yourselves from idols and so here they are and and idolatry is a problem so you pastor you think idolatry is a problem for us absolutely say wait a minute i don't have any idols in my house oh yes you do I used to, whenever we, we had, and they just graduated high school about this last year, I think, uh, these two little Indian girls, their parents owned a hotel out, at the, out by the interstate, the church that I pastored in Arkansas, and they put their daughters at kindergarten in our Christian school. Uh, their name is Bumi and Dara. Uh, And Bumi and Dara came in uh, and we would go and visit them and they, they lived at the hotel that their parents owned and they had taken a couple of rooms and made a big apartment out of it and we would go in and they had in the corner a shrine and it had all their gods in it and they would bow down and we were astounded because the girls would come home from school singing Jesus loves me. And as they're singing Jesus loves me, we thought, well, that's going to be it. They're going to pull them out because they're, uh, they're Hindu and, uh, and they, they have got their own way of worship and their own gods. And, uh, and you just, in our normal settings, we don't interact that much with people like, that are of other faiths in that way. Uh, and so it was unusual, but we had wonderful conversations. We were able to present the gospel uh, and they, uh, they did well and they stayed. And come to find out, they were just happy to add Jesus to their collection of gods and that's a pretty common thing in eastern culture they have their gods and they have their way of worship and they're uh they're they're more than happy in many cases to just add jesus to their collection of gods and uh and so that's essentially what this particular family was like and But they had their idols in there. And you could see uh, the idols clearly there that they would bow down and they would worship to. Now, I don't think that anybody in our church, at least anybody that comes on a regular basis that I'm familiar with, uh, has that kind of a shrine in the corner of your house or bows down to a legitimate statue. But I'll say this. Anything that takes the rightful place of God in our hearts and in our minds becomes an idol to us. And so your idol might be parked in your driveway. Your idol might eat dinner with you at the table every night. So what do you mean, Pastor? I'm telling you that for for many people, their children become their gods. Uh, And I'm all for family. We have, by today's standards, a large family. My wife is the baby of nine, so she comes from a large family. We love family. But uh, the, the reality is, is that family is not God. And so we want to have the right balance, we want to have the right love, we want to have the right relationships, but we want to be careful that always Jesus is first. I love my wife with all my heart. We've been married for over 33 years, and we've been together for almost uh, for around thirty. we met in November of 1985. And so we got married in February of 1989. Uh, and so we've been together for a long time. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we've, you know, from that time, uh, we've essentially been together. We do everything together. We go everywhere together. But my wife is my wife. She's not my God. And so I want to be careful and cautious about those things. And so here's Israel. They are now in this transitional time without really understanding that Samuel is going to be the last judge. And they're demanding of God a king. And now they've gone through a time where essentially God has been silent again for 20 years. Now when Samuel came on the scene, uh, you'll remember in the early verses, chapters here, uh, he's brought as a as a promised gift from Hannah to God and God if you'll give me a son she was barren I will give him to you and once he's weaned which in their culture and this sounds weird in western culture was probably seven, eight, nine years of age uh, where, they, uh, where they brought him she would have brought him to the tabernacle and left him there with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas now if you know the story Hophni and Phinehas are extremely vile and corrupt priests of Israel, the sons of the high priest Eli. And because she made the promise, she still gave her son over. Now you stop and you think about that for a minute. I made this promise, God, I'm going to keep my word. But I realize that I'm putting my son to be mentored and to be tutored in the hands of three very vile and corrupt men. And, and I, you know, I, that is astounding to me her level of faith in her commitment to God and how God honored it and blessed it by not allowing Samuel to be corrupted by them. But they're corrupt. And in the end God comes and speaks to Samuel and tells him what's going to happen to Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and just as God told Samuel it happens they Hophni and Phinehas take the ark of the covenant out of the holy of holies and they take it out to battle against the Philistines and they they are slain in the battle and the ark of the covenant is captured by the enemies of God and it is taken away and put in their temple and it's taken there and it's and Israel's cut off Essentially, from the symbol of the presence of God in their midst. The power and the presence of God is gone from them. And in that absence, there's a void. There's emptiness. I was going to say this morning that for many of us, we need to consider the possibility that the power and the presence of God is not in our hearts and our lives now as it once was. And there is a void The problem is, is that if that void stays there for very long, then the world fills the void. That idols and the things of this earth fill the void. It's not necessarily going to always be filled with evil things or bad things, but it's going to be filled, the the place of God becomes filled with with with, uh, with things that are not God. Therefore, those things become an idol. And we, and we worship them, maybe we don't bow down, maybe we don't pray to them, but we put them ahead of God. And when we put them ahead of God, they become an idol to us. And so now for 20 years, the ark has been gone. For 20 years, the presence and the power of God has been missing. Samuel's still been preaching, Samuel's still been uh, doing his business, but the people have, uh, are, are just shut down. Now, I find it interesting, and I want to just kind of jump to the end of the passage here uh, that we read for a minute, because I want to make a point before we really dive into what I, I want to get across this morning. I want you to notice in verse number 6, they're gathered together, they draw water, they pour it out before the Lord, they're fasting, and notice what they say, we have sinned against the Lord. And so Samuel judges them. Now notice in verse 8, the Philistines, have they heard they're there, they come out against them to do battle. And notice their response to Samuel. Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. They're not going to God and saying, God, save us out of the hand of the Philistines. They're going to Samuel and they're saying, Samuel, you pray that God will save us from the hand of the Philistines. Listen this morning. You never have to come to your pastor and say, Pastor, pray for me that God will forgive my sin. Just go talk to God and ask Him to forgive your sin. Amen. And so if you need some help understanding that, I'm all, I'm, I'm all here. I'll make time. But you don't need me to get right with God. Just go to God and get right. Amen. And so notice that what happens here. They are so afraid that they cannot even go to God in prayer because they have sin in their life. And that's what sin does in our lives. Sin brings fear. Had they been in fellowship with God, they could have done their own praying. Don't let sin invade your life to the point that it robs you from the presence and the power of God. Now back to verse number three. We'll get into the message now. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, notice this is not a half-hearted return. This is not a partial return. This is not a bartered return. This is not God. I want you to be a part of my life. I just don't want my life. I just don't want you to take over my life. I've seen many times over the years where a wife would come and pray for her husband and say, Pastor, would you pray for my husband? My husband is abusive or my husband is uh, is cruel or my husband is away from God or my husband is this or my husband is that. And then God Save the soul of that husband, or that husband, uh, God will break them and they'll get right with God and they'll give their heart and they're committed to the Lord. And then uh, all of a sudden, the wife is not happy. You would think that her prayers have been answered, she'd be over the moon. Problem is, she wanted them to get right, she just didn't want them to get that right. She wanted them to get saved, she didn't want them to get that saved. She wanted life to be the way she wanted it, but she didn't want God to be first. And so, I, what I'm saying here is this, with all your heart. If we're going to be right, if we're going to have revival, if we're going to have a life that God can speak to us, and God can encourage us, and God can grow us, it requires that we give God all of our heart, not just a part of it. If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines now in your outline this morning you probably got a space for four points there those four points really are four principles if you want a legitimate three point outline from this verse uh, that, that it's, just a, it's just a strange structure because of what I'm trying to communicate this morning here are your three primary points really number one put away your idols now, if that's not there, write that down in your, in, your, in your introductory position or mark blanks there. Because really the four points of the message, you're not going to understand them if you don't have these three things. Put away your idols. Number two, prepare your hearts. Notice again what he says here. If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and atherots and prepare your hearts. Put away your idols, prepare your hearts. And then serve Him only. Serve God alone. Here's the key to the Christian life. Here is the key to God's power. Here is the key to God's blessing. Put away your idols, prepare your hearts, and serve God alone. In essence, that's the message this morning. Now I'm going to give you some principles that I think that if we'll adopt with that in mind will help us to get far more out of every service than we would typically get if we would do it. If we're going to get God's very best from every service, we must come prepared. You have every right <coughs> to expect that whoever's preaching, whether it be me or Brother Trevon or a guest speaker or one of them in the church, That when we step into this pulpit and open the Word of God, that we stand here prepared. We're not winging it. We're not just. Uh, we're not just okay. I'm gonna uh, wherever the Bible opens, and I'm gonna preach from there today. That we've prayed, that we've sought God's leadership, that we've done our due diligence, that we've studied it out, that to our best ability, we are, we are, we are uh, true to the context of what's being, what's being given, uh, and we're not trying to twist and manipulate uh, it to say something that we want it to say. It's just this. thus saith the Lord. We have a right to expect that. May I submit to you this morning that as a pastor, I feel as if I have the right to expect the same from you. Yeah, that you come prepared. That you come not with a heart that needs to be right with God, but a heart that's already right with God. That you come with a hunger for God's Word. That you come with an expectation to hear from Him. And we'll get into these things as we move along. But it's just as important for the church member to come to the service prepared as it is for the pastor to come to the service prepared. Why? Because there's too much going on out there that distracts us from being and and getting what God has for us. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to just share four thoughts with you, really. No subpoints today. No, uh, a lot of jumping to different passages today. Just, just four minds. I just want to share my heart with the church as we seek and prepare for revival, a revival meeting. Listen, just because we have a revival meeting on the calendar in three weeks doesn't mean that revival is going to take place. I can't schedule revival. I can schedule an opportunity. I can schedule some extra services. I can schedule a guest speaker. But revival will come when God's people have a hunger for God and His Word and a desire for God's presence and will cry out to God and seek His face until He decides to arrive. I can't schedule that. I can't schedule it in my own personal life. I can't schedule it in your life. I can't schedule it for the church. We're either hungry enough... To provoke God to show up, or we're not. We either have enough a great enough desire to seek Him out, or we don't. So, what do I do, Pastor? Well, four thoughts here. First, he says, put away your idols. And in relation to that, I would say this come with an open mind. I I should come as a, as a congregant, as a hearer, as a layperson in the church. I should come to every service with, a, with an open mind. So i pastor, but I know what I believe and I know this and I know that. I understand, but what I'm talking about here is that I come honestly to hear and to consider what's preached. Listen, I don't want you, uh, as, as your pastor, I don't have a desire for you to say, pastor said, so this is what I got to do. If I say something that's not what God said, then what I said really doesn't matter that much. And so whenever we, uh, when we come to the word of God and we come to this place to worship God together, uh, if we're going to come and and the text is announced and I open the text and I say, okay, uh, oh pastor, I know that text. I've heard, I've heard sermons preached from that text a thousand times. There's not anything that I can think of that you could possibly say that I haven't already heard, or haven't already taught, or haven't already considered, so I'm just going to zone out, I'm going to take out my phone and play uh, play bubble pop, or or whatever it is that some of you play while I'm preaching, uh, and don't think that I don't notice just because I don't say anything or, or try to embarrass anybody. Uh, and so you pastor people do that here, just look at the, the down the row and the people in front of you, uh, and, and maybe you let them know on their way out, hey, it'd be and less distracting to me if you would pay attention to what the pastor's trying to preach instead of playing games on your phone. That's good I'll preaching. <laughs> that is good preaching. And it helped eliminate some distractions too. It might even help revival to break out once in a while. But come with an open heart. Come willing to hear. Listen, I'm not, I'm not that brilliant. I'm not Einstein. I don't have everything all figured out. But I know this, that what I give you is what God gave me. Amen. But pastor, I've heard it before. Well, maybe God feels like you need to be reminded. Amen. I know I needed to be reminded when I was studying it. I know sometimes I, I'm amazed that I, I pick up a passage that I've <coughs> literally have memorized. And, uh, and, and I've God shows me something I've never seen before. That's just the way the Spirit of God works. I wasn't ready for it before. Maybe I didn't need that particular thing in my life in that moment, but God knows. And so what I'm saying is put away your idols. Put away distractions. Put away those things which occupy the place of God. In other words, come with an open mind. Come honestly hearing and considering what God gives. So pastor, but if you give something that's just your opinion, just hear it and consider it if i'm will, if i'm not willing to hear and consider why even waste my time to come now don't get me wrong i'm glad that you're here it's a lot easier to preach to a room that's somewhat filled than it is to an empty one and with COVID, i've now have, i can now say that i've done the empty room thing now for quite a while it was just me preaching to brother trevon and miss ruby up there and then whenever i get going they sit down in a chair and i can't see but the top of their heads anyway If it starts bouncing a little bit, I kind of worry what they're doing up there. <laughs> I don't know if they're watching what they're watching or what they're playing or what they're. But what I'm saying this morning is this, come with an open mind. If I come with a, to a conversation, if I come a, and say I'm going to come in, in good faith and, a, and hear what's presented, but my mind is already made up before I even hear the argument just because I think that I already know what the argument is. Can I really say that I've come with an open heart and mind? What I'm saying this morning is that I want to come to every service that I come to, whether it's my private devotions in the morning, whether it's my another time during the day alone with the Lord, whether it's a, uh, maybe a, a meeting that I'll go to at another church, or whether it's a, 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 a meeting with other pastors, or whether someone else is preaching in the service uh, here, like next Sunday night will be Brother Trevon, who generally preaches the last Sunday night of the month. And uh, whenever I come, I want to come and I want to consider and hear what's being said regardless of how well I feel like I know the passage. Why? Because God perhaps gave that person some perspective that I didn't have. Maybe something in my life happened this week and I, even though I, uh, I, I read it or I studied it a week or two ago, God knows that I needed to be reminded of it now. But if I come knowing everything, and it really it gets to a place where we come where we're so spiritually superior we would never say it that way. We've got so, such, we, we feel like we're humble, but we have such spiritual pride that no one can ever stand up in the, in the pulpit here and say anything that I don't already know or haven't already heard or, uh, or can impress me enough or say it in a way that would cause me to actually value what they have to say. If that's my heart and my spirit, I, not only am I not getting anything, but I'm hindering the spirit's ability to work in the hearts of others. Come with an open mind. Come with an open heart. Come ready to hear and to consider what God has. So when we look and he says here, put away your idols, I would say come with an open heart and mind without the clutter of, uh, of the things of this world. The second thing that I would say is this, come with a clean heart. Notice what he says uh, here. Secondly, he says put away the strange gods of Asheroth from among you and prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts. Make wrongs right. I should come with my heart cleansed and right with God. Said, so, Pastor, you just don't understand what kind of week I've had. You don't understand my drive to church this morning. Thursday, we typically take Thursdays off, and <clears throat> so Thursday we haven't been, we haven't been to uh, down to the Gulf coast in a couple and maybe we went once early last summer but it's it's been well over a year since we've been down there and so there's generally quite a bit of activity in our house most of the time and so (coughs) it's not bad activity it's just activity so it's it's we're getting old and we like some quiet and so we decided this week well we're gonna even though the rain's supposed to be coming in thursday night we're going to drive down uh, down and, and we go all the way to the end of Galveston to the next island down and we've got a spot there I think the closest people to us were about a quarter of a mile and you drive right on the beach for as long as you want to go and, uh, and so we're there uh, and so I'm looking at the water and it's, it's like a really dark brown so I'm thinking I, I, could have, I could have just taken a mud bath in the backyard uh, and so but we sit our chairs just kind of in the water and uh, and we're just you know it's, it's, it's hot but that's okay we understood that that's what it's going to be so we took an hour and a half and we drove down there and then we're just kind of in there relaxing uh, I just love the, the smell and the, the sound of the waves it just and it's a calm day but uh, it's, it's therapeutic for me it's relaxing and so, you know, my wife, as long as she keeps her eyes closed, it reminds her of home. Uh, if she opens her eyes, it doesn't remind her of home anymore because the water in Puerto Rico is really blue and beautiful and not brown and muddy like it is here. Uh, and so she likes to walk around and, and find crabs and, uh, and do things like that. And so we, we're down there. We, for about two or three hours, we just de-stressed. Well, what took us an hour and a half to get down there took us over three hours to get home because of just a, a host of things. Some of it was construction, some of it was accidents, some of it was the weather. And it was like once we got past one thing, it was the next thing. And so we get back on 146 and think, okay, good, we're finally past it, drive about a quarter of a mile, get forced back off, There's the whole thing shut down again. That happened about three times. So we went down there in de stressed and then we drove home and re-stressed. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it's just kind of the way that it worked out. I want to come de-stressed. Now listen, I'm not saying if, if you had a, a horrible week, if you had a horrible week this week, I'm glad that you're here. I would never say to you if, if your heart is not completely right with God, stay home. That's not going to help you. I'm saying it's better when I make it right before I get here. If you say, Pastor, what about my drive-in this morning? It, it started raining on me, and then I got, I, got, I understand. Between here and my house, there's one, two, three, four traffic lights. Every one of them turned red just as I was approaching it this morning. And I was running about 15 minutes later than I like to be. It, it was not that big of a deal, but it's just kind of frustrating sometimes. You know, you'd think you'd get at least one out of four green. But not always listen that, that, that's the kind of thing that for somebody that's as compulsive as I am at times uh, could really wreck a, 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 about an hour of my day but I'm, I, I'm just determined I'm not going to let things like that really kind of eat away at me and that's a silly little thing just as an example but I'm just saying this morning if you need to step when you pull in the parking lot and you've got things in your heart and your mind take a couple of minutes and just let your car run and pray and cleanse your heart cleanse your mind if you got sin in your life let it go give it to God seek his forgiveness I want to come through the doors with an opportunity for God to speak to me I want to come with an opportunity to be a blessing I want to come with a clean heart I want to make whatever's wrong in my life with God right before I come in and if there's something that I'm aware of that's wrong between me and a brother or sister in Christ I want it to be right before the service starts I was in a in a service I hadn't been on staff real long at this church that I was a youth pastor and a voice home director at and the guy that and uh, he just went home to be with the Lord a few months ago we, had, we had, were in church service with him when we visited Tennessee last and about two weeks later he died suddenly uh, but he was on staff there as well and he was he was at the, for a long time when we first started going back to church he had been the music the music leader at the church and he uh, was a financial secretary at the church and uh and and we got along great we joked around all the time with one another and he liked to dish it out man did he like to dish it out and that's okay i could take it and so and i dish it back and and we teased, but we're in the service one time and he made some kind of snide remark at me in like a testimony time or something. And so I responded in kind and said something about his, his uh, hearing aids, like he didn't hear right or something. Well, he was highly offended. I didn't know it. So the pastor, he came down. We shook hands at one point in the service and said, I think you really offended brother so-and-so. And I said, well, where'd he go? And, I, and he said, he went over that way. So I went to him right away and apologized. Because I didn't want that to be a hindrance to the service. My point is this. If I have something in my heart that I know is not right, I want to make it right. So that I don't hinder the working of God in the service. So that I don't hinder the working of God, not only in my life, but in someone else's life. And so I believe as the body of Christ, we, we owe that to one another that we owe it to one another, that we come together in a unity of spirit. Study sometimes the importance and the emphasis that God put on his early church of unity. We don't have to agree about everything, but we do have to be unified. In other words, sometimes we have to look at some things maybe that are petty that we don't agree in and not let them be big deals and just rally around, well, what's the position of the local assembly that God's put us in and we're going to we're going to align with that publicly for the sake of unity. I, I want to make those things right. Why? Well, I don't want to be a hindrance. I want to come with a clean heart. I want to come with a heart that's cleansed of sin. So I want to come with an open mind. I want to come with a clean heart. Not only in preparation of the heart, I want to come with a desire for truth. Do I come? Did I come this morning desiring the truth of God's word? So, Pastor, I don't like what you had to say. Question Was it the truth of God's word? Then maybe you needed to be offended by it. Yeah, that's me. Listen, truth is offensive. Yeah. The word of God is offensive. If I've embraced the world and the culture and its philosophy, and I am introduced to the character of the person and the essence of who and what God is, I'm going to be offended. And why would I turn from what I was and embrace what I'm not if I wasn't offended? If something didn't call me out, if something didn't say this is sinful and because of your sin, then you are, you are separated from God. And because you're separated from God, then you're going to spend an eternity in hell and, or in the lake of fire. And, and if, you, uh, if, you'll, if you'll accept what God's gift is and you'll receive his forgiveness and you'll, let, uh, and, and you'll receive that gift of salvation, then he'll restore you. Listen, I have to be offended to embrace who what, and what God is. Sometimes people will come in and they'll, they'll hear a sermon preached and they, they're all offended because of the truth that's given and they'll, uh, and they'll go away and they'll never come back and that's heartbreaking. It's devastating. But it's what the Word of God does. Now, I'm not saying that as an excuse to, for someone to stand in the pulpit and have a horrible disposition But if the word of God is preached, it's going to be offensive at times. Sometimes it'll lift us up. Sometimes it'll crush us down. Sometimes it'll put a smile on our face. Sometimes it'll put a tear in our eye. Sometimes it'll make me feel like I've got the world conquered. And sometimes it'll make me feel like I'm the biggest failure in the world. But it's God confronting issues in my life and growing me. If I'm not willing to allow the Word of God to confront issues in my life, I'm never going to grow. On the other hand, uh, I know of places where they kind of use it as an excuse to just get on the platform and be a big jerk to everybody and say you just can't handle it. And that's not of God. That's not pleasing to the Lord. That doesn't glorify God. I had it taught to me in college and some of you that know where I go to college would be surprised that they would teach this, but it was taught If your position is offensive, that's okay. But if your disposition is offensive, it's not. So we want to preach the truth in love. We want to preach the truth in the spirit of Christ. We want to preach even the hard things uh, in a manner that says, yes, these things are sinful to us, but his love for us can reconcile that sin. I want to come with a clean heart. Not only that, a desire for truth. Do I desire truth? Did I come this morning desiring truth even if the truth was difficult to hear? If I grow to the place where I'm willing to do that, then God can do something special in my life. Not only when we talk about the preparation of the heart, come with an expectation of conviction. And I would go a step farther than that. I would say not only do I want to come to church expecting that God's going to convict me, I want to come to church desiring for God to convict me. Because I really want to know who and what he is. If I want to know what he values, if I want to know what's going to help my life grow and help me to be what God wants me to be, then I have to understand that if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict my heart, so pastor, what is that? Well, to, to, the, to the person that doesn't understand the biblical concept of it, just, just think about your conscience for a minute. It's sort of like your conscience, except it's beyond that. It's the Spirit of God confirming in your heart what's preached and what's taught. When you hear things preached and taught, and even if it's grinding against you, and even if it's rubbing you the wrong way, and even if you're uncomfortable, but there's something in your heart and your spirit that's saying, this is true, and this is right, and you need to respond to this, that's the Holy Spirit of God's communing with your spirit and bringing conviction upon your soul. So, Pastor, you're just up there trying to guilt trip everybody. Perhaps you feel guilty because you're convicted. Now, I get it. I I know that people can get in the pulpit and they can be abusive and they can lay a guilt trip and try to manipulate people through guilt to do things. I'm not advocating that. I'm not condoning that. I don't think that pleases the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, is that if I have sin in my life and the Spirit of God brings conviction upon me, I will feel, feel guilty. Praise God. And that guilt should drive me to my knees to confess my sin, that God my relationship with God might be restored and that his presence and power might be returned. Come with a desire for truth and come with an expectation of conviction. And then fourthly, I would say this, come with a determination to do. Come with a determination to do. and Be hearers of the word and not doers only. It doesn't matter how much I've learned. It doesn't matter how much I uh, grasp mentally and emotionally. If I don't do anything with it, it has not done me or anyone else any good. Be a doer. Notice again in verse 3. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. Are you serving God this morning? So, Pastor, I came to church. You came to church and you worship. But are you serving So what do you mean serving? Well, did you work as a greeter? Did you you work to train someone, to disciple someone? Did you help in a Sunday school class? Did you teach a child? Did you go and visit someone that's infirmed? Did you work in the nursery? Did you seek out an avenue of service to say, God, I love you not only with words, but by my actions. If I don't ever do anything for God, am I really serving him? When we look and we stop at what Samuel is communicating to the people here, he's saying, listen, the Ark of the Covenant has been in enemy hands for 20 years. For 20 years, it has not been at the very least where it's supposed to be in the Holy of Holies. We have not had the presence or the power of God or the symbol of it for all of these years. And the enemy is amassed because they know that we're here and they're ready to go to war. Samuel says, if you'll put away your idols, if you'll prepare your hearts, and if you'll serve God alone, You'll win a great victory. What did winning a great victory mean? It meant more than just defeating the, the Philistines, it meant the return of the Ark of the Covenant, it meant the return of God's presence and power, it meant the return of a relationship with God that was meaningful and personal. As we prepare in just a few weeks to have a revival meeting on the calendar, I want to encourage you this morning to put away your idols. I want to encourage us this morning to prepare our hearts. I want to challenge us this morning to serve God alone. So, Pastor, but I've got to serve my family. If you're you're walking with God and training them and serving serving your family is a way to serve God. I have to go to my job and earn a living. Are you serving God there? Are you representing Christ there? Do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Is there something that they sense that's different about you? Is your language different than theirs? Is your sense of humor different than theirs when theirs is vile uh, and, and corrupt? Are you representing The one that can convict their sin and can forgive it and can save their soul so that they will feel drawn by your presence and the power of God in your life to come to you and say, there's something different about you. I don't understand what it is. What is it? And you have an opportunity to share with them the faith of the gospel. Come. With our idols put away. With our hearts prepared serving God alone. What does that look like? Well, it means that I'm coming every time the doors are open with an open mind. It means that I'm coming with a clean heart, prepared. It means I have a desire. I come with a desire for truth. It means I come with an expectation of the Spirit of God to convict me in my life where it needs conviction. And I come with a determination to put into practice the very things that the Spirit of God has spoken to me about as the message was preached. What, what good does it do for us to come and learn if we never do anything with what we get? If all I'm doing is filling up a file cabinet in my brain with information and it never leads to any action, what good does it do? I don't want my relationship with God to be simply mitigated to a church service for two a week and an occasional perusal through his word and a brief prayer before I eat a meal or go to bed. I want it to be real. I want it to be powerful. I don't want to come to church and say, well, pastor, if you were a better speaker, I wouldn't struggle so much. I'll give you that. But I've sat through a lot of services where the speaker really wasn't that captivating and had God get all over me because it didn't have anything to do with the man's ability it had to do with my hunger i'm a very very picky eater to my wife's great dismay and she says do you want some fruit yes what kind of fruit a cocoa bean you want some beans yes a cocoa bean do you want everything everything revolves around the cocoa bean. That is my fruit and that is my vegetable. That is my I never grew up. But if I get hungry enough the other day she made me a salad before the meal and it was about the third one of the week and I was struggling to get it down. The first one was great. The second one was okay. The third one was a struggle. See, the first one, I hadn't had one in a while, so it, and I was really hungry, it was good. By the time I got to the third one in about four or five days, I was just like, if God wanted me to eat this much green, he would have gave me a twitchy nose and long ears. <laughs> if I'm not hungry for God's word, I'm never gonna get much out of a church service. But if I'm hungry, Doesn't matter how good or how lacking the preaching is, the Spirit of God will feed me because I came with a prepared heart, with an expectant heart, with an open heart, ready to act upon and do what God spoke to me about. And if we'll do that, not only will it change our church-going experience in life, but it will open the door for God to bring revival.